And of course, 80% of them were women over the age of 40. So thank God we've moved past these awful times. Right, witches? Hello, Michelle. Hello, Geordie. How the heck are you? I'm all right. How are you? Oh, I'm just great. Great. You look great. I'm great. All summery. Well, I'm summery and I'm also a little bit pissed. Oh. Just a little. It's a bit early, isn't it? It's never too early. I guess you're in a different time zone. Well, it's never too early for daytime drinking in my book, especially <laughs> around midsummer when it's all schnapps and aquavit. It's very nice. And the days just go on and on and on and on. I think those in the Southern Hemisphere don't quite have as long days as we do in the Northern Hemisphere. No, they don't. In summer, do they? No. And look, when I was in Sweden recently, it was 23.5 hours of daylight. Yes. And it's the opposite in winter. (laughs) Yeah, it bloody is. So what do you do in those moments? Do you pop on a little face mask and earplugs and shut the curtains and hope for the best? I've got an eye mask. But, you know, you still hear the birds. The birds are so confused. and The birds, the birds. The birds. But you still wake up. I'm exhausted from summer. And actually, mm. though, I will say. It's tough, really tough. Yeah. Oh, what a hard life. Yeah, sorry for us listeners. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, though, that we are now on the downward spiral because midsummer. What do you mean? Well, midsummer, which is what, the 20th of June every year? Yeah. Signifies the longest day of the year. Equinox, yes. After which we're now on the downward towards winter. Yeah, but I mean, I feel like we're just getting into the groove of summer. Just started. Yes, but all those long, 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 long days, they're going down. It's not bad. What's she on about? What? Huh? Silly bitch. What? What is she on about, people? What is she on about? You've tuned into a real-life true crime supernatural weekly podcast here. And what are you getting? A whole load of nonsense about the bloody weather. But anyway, hi. I'm going to introduce myself. (laughs) Why don't you? You are listening to Eavesdropping the Podcast Comedy podcast, if you can believe it. And I am Michelle and you are... Yes, she's Michelle. I'm Geordie. That's right. And you are eavesdropping on our conversation, which makes you an eavesdropper. Eavesdroppers. Oh. Yes. Yes. That is absolutely right. Now, Geordie, yes. what has been going on with you for the last week? Mm. Well, since the last episode when we talked about you and you talked about UFOs and I talked about Tyler Henry, the celebrity medium. Not Taylor. Not Taylor. <laughs> I found that a really exciting episode, actually. I enjoyed that one. Have you seen any more lights? No, because it's so bright all the time. It's so bright. There are no lights in the sky. It's just daylight the whole time. And I do feel that UFOs love the darkness. But I will say... Just like monsters. What? Scary stuff. I happened across an article. And look, I could be wrong about this. But from a few weeks ago, we did... An episode where you, Geordie, talked about Jeff Machado. Yes, that's who's right. the Brazilian Actor. guy found in the chest. Yes, yes, in the chest buried under the ground. When missing for months, his family was still getting messages from him. Then all these beloved dogs were seen wandering the streets of Rio de Janeiro, and then everybody realised something was up. Well, you had mentioned that one of the guys the police were after was on the run. That's right, the one who actually killed him. They say. 
allegedly. Two days ago, I think they got him. <gasps> oh. Yes. Now, I didn't read through the whole article, but there have been updates. Maybe I'll put some links in the show okay. notes. And I will say, people, there are limited show notes wherever you listen, but all the show links in full are on our website, which is eavesdroppingpodcast.com. Hooray, go there. Now, it's interesting that you should say something current and controversial that's in the news right now, Michelle. I don't know if you know what's been going on for us in the UK for our news. It's also the US's concern because two men from Surbiton happen to be part of this five-man crew on a submarine. It's not really a submarine. It's just a submersible. It's worldwide news, Georgie. My God. Went down to the Titanic wreckage and didn't come back. And there's been this search for them because they feel that there was some knocking, sonar knocking. Everybody was counting down the hours. At first, there was 40 hours of oxygen left. And then there was 20 hours and they still hadn't found them. And then it looks like they had imploded at some point, probably the day that they lost contact which is kind of a blessed relief because the thought of sitting there waiting to find out if you would be rescued before the air runs out, it doesn't bear thinking about. No, the whole thing is really fucking shocking. But actually, and look, again, we do play fast and loose with our facts here, but I do believe that I read somewhere that the billionaire's wife, so the billionaire who was on the submersible who has died, yeah, his wife was actually the great granddaughter of someone on On the the Titanic. Titanic. And I think he obviously had a real connection to the Titanic and that's why he wanted to go and see this wreckage. But is it really worth losing your life just to see a bit of old fucking bits of shit wood under the sea with barnacles on it? I mean, they're dead. For what? For what reason? We don't know that reason, though, Michelle. That's an unknown quantity. We can't make that judgment, I suppose. But yes, sadly, they did pay with their lives. They did. Now, onto something else I wanted to discuss with you. Okay. I was coming back from Sweden. I was in the airport and there was an English book section. And for me, I really struggle to find English language books. So when I see any in an airport, I'm always like scooping them up. I bought... Dave Grohl's book, Storyteller. Oh, yeah. Now, have you read it? Not yet, no. Okay. I would just say don't bother because... Oh, okay. I have got his first one and I had to give up halfway through. I'm really happy that you said that because I picked it up thinking, I can't wait to read this. Oh, my God. I was so bored. So bored by Mm -hmm. his stories. And also, his writing style, it's so fucking cheesy. And I just thought... Apologies, Dave. Yeah, I'm sorry, Dave. Really? Like, (laughs) Michelle doesn't approve. I don't like it. I didn't like it. And so I thought. Not her taste. It was not my taste. And I went online and I thought. I'm going to write a shitty review. No? No, I would never do that. But I just thought, is it only me that just thinks this is not very good? Well, do you know what? I could not find a single bad review for that bloody book well people adore him and he's lovely yeah look he is lovely I'm not saying he's not I'm just saying he didn't give what I wanted to know and the way he wrote was he's a cheese ball and I was just really disappointed you've let it down Dave because all I wanted to know was about not all I wanted to know was it like to be in Nirvana yes I wanted to know more about his personal thoughts and feelings about that time in Nirvana because a very very good friend of mine his brother was the tour promoter that 
brought them out to Australia when they were nobody, booked them all into tiny little venues, ANU, Selena's in Coogee, all of that kind of stuff. And he gave this unreleased tape and said, hey, this is a band I'm promoting. Uh, This is their new album that they're going to be touring with. Check it out. This was months before Nevermind came out. And me and like three of our friends, and we had it before anyone and we were losing our little minds over it and I couldn't go to any of the gigs because I was in the UK with you when they were in Australia but Dave let you down at the final hurdle he bloody did I don't know listeners if you've read Storyteller and you loved it please tell me why because I've shelved it I can't even be bothered reading more of it but if you loved it let me know, like, if I'm if I'm making a harsh judgment on poor old Dave Grohl. <laughs> anyway, well, I don't think he'll be too bothered, Michelle. I think it won't affect the sales. Even if you did write a shitty review, I don't think it would bother him too much. You know, I almost saw Nirvana at Reading that mm-hmm. I think it was ninety one, ninety two kind of time with listener Wren and listener Moira. Actually, both of those ladies and. Very similar to what happened to us when we saw the Strokes at Reading, except I wasn't backstage this time with you and thanks to our friend who's in a famous band. And of course, if we had stuck around to watch that set, we would have missed the bloody train home. Well, I didn't right. have a Michelle to try and get them to put another train on, which she bloody did. I know. By screaming at people. Sheer force of will. They almost got security. I got people home that night. That you was did. after a Reading If festival. only you were there that year for Nirvana, then we could have seen them. But, you know, I saw Beastie Boys and L7. That was enough at the time. I just remember my ex-boyfriend at the time, we missed... Nirvana in Australia because we were in Europe and then we desperately were trying to get into a show and we were chasing them so we arrived we were in the UK we were in Rome and every time we arrived in a country in Europe they'd either just been and we'd miss them or they were so far in the future that it wasn't Mm. going to work out so So you missed it altogether completely missed it altogether I'm sure you've seen the Foo Fighters many times to make up for it at least I know you'll never see I've seen them hundreds of times hundreds have you small venues big venues yeah no for years I've been I won't go again because they're all stadium now and I don't fancy that but It is what it is. What are you going to do? Don't know what you're going to do, but how about we launch into this week's Supernatural Story? Supernatural. Ghost is in a wall. Supernatural. Poltergeist at all. Supernatural. We are chatting supernatural. Supernatural. Well, I thought this week we could talk about witches. You know why? Why? Because right now on Radio 4 in the UK, there's a 13-part radio series by a podcaster and journalist, India Rakusen or Rakusen. And it's all about what it means to be a witch right now. And I did start it, haven't finished it. But that's okay because there's so much stuff out there on witches. And to be honest with you, Michelle, I did go on a bit of a wild goose chase with this story. So... Bear with me, listeners. But first, I just wanted to make use of our very handy little book that Jane Beacon gave us, Super Eavesdropper, Chambers Dictionary of the Unexplained. And this is what it says. Can you hear me opening the book here? I can. This is what it says. I've lost my page. Oh, it's upside down. It's all right. Calm down. Don't worry. (laughs) Look, here it is. 
witches. There's a whole bit on witches. It's actually a whole bit on witchcraft, Ooh. but I'm not going to read that. I'm just going to tell you what it says about witches. Bear with me while I get my page. It says, a witch is a practitioner of witchcraft. Whilst most commonly associated with women, the term can also be used to refer to male practitioners of witchcraft. The majority of male practitioners of modern witchcraft, see Wicca, prefer the name witch to warlock. So bear that in mind and don't upset anyone. Yes, people don't. People find that offensive is what it's trying to say. While witches are often associated with covens, many modern witches prefer to work alone as solitaries. During the witch hunts of the 15th to late 17th centuries, witches were thought to enter pacts with the devil <laughs> and to engage in abominable practices the persecution of witches had largely ended by the start of the 18th century and in 1951 rich witchcraft ceased to be a crime in Britain. Right. Well, how does that grab you? You say that. Ceased to be a crime. You say mm. that, but actually I say it. There was a woman charged in 1944 with witchcraft in the UK. Well, it ceased to be a, a crime. In 1951, Michelle, so that would fit. You weren't listening to me. Have it. Sorry. There you go. So witches, like I've just explained, these days, they well, they practice Wicca. And these days, they are still doing it quite happily on the TikToks and everything. It's a nature-based religion. And it's very, very popular at the moment. In fact, I don't think it's ever stopped being popular, to be honest with you. But according to the UK census of 2021, there are about 13,000 Wiccans or people who practice mm -hmm. Wicca in this country, the United Kingdom. Apart from Wicca, there are also other witchy practices like Obia, Obia, Obia. I don't know how you pronounce okay. it. That is to use certain spirits or supernatural beings to either harm the living or stop them, stop the people, living people from causing harm. And I don't know where that's from. Uh, Kulam, which is a Filipino curse, voodoo-based practice. And shamanism, which you may have heard of, which is where a shaman yeah. can interact with the spirit world through trances and all sorts of things like that. And drugs. Peyote, etc. Okay, yep. Often, <laughs> possibly, if you know it, if you know all about it, Michelle, <laughs> often modern witches are told that they are witches. This is what I have learned from the podcast that I was listening to. They're often told that they are witches by somebody else and they use this as their jumping off point. Okay. It's not like they really fancy being a witch. It's just like somebody's told them, oh my God, you're witchy or you're a witch or something. I think. So nature, like I said, and witches are entwined. Often a sky clad witch, which is a naked witch, will perform rituals in nature and they work with moon cycles. They commemorate the eight sabbats in the wheel of the year. I don't know what that is. As well as communicating with the dead. They're just some of the things that they do. And using nature as their, their church, if you like. It's to be honoured and protected. And if a witch believes in animism, they think that everything in the natural world, including plants, rocks, and even thunderstorms, Michelle, has a spirit or a soul. Rituals and spells are central to being a witch. We've even been known to do a little spell ourselves, haven't we, Michelle? We could whip up a spell. I might even have one for you at the end of this podcast. Oh, I look forward to that. Whether or not you believe in the effectiveness of these spells or not, there's no problem casting a spell because it's always done with good intentions. It should harm none. That's the basis of it. Lovely witches. At one with nature, making themselves rich on TikTok with harmless spells and incantation. Who doesn't love this idea, Mish? Probably my boyfriend. He's not witchy. Not he hates it. that shit. 
Well. Oh, God. Anything. Anything to do with it. He runs a mile. It. But I love it. Okay. Well, most of us know that it wasn't always so beloved, the witchcraft thing and the wicker thing, mm. because I just mentioned before about the witch trials in the 15th to 17th centuries. And then there was the Salem witch trials, which were partly the inspiration for Arthur Miller's play, The Crucible. And I know we've spoken about this before. We have. I performed in it when I was 17, 16, 17 in my end of year drama unit, whatever, at Narrabunda College. It is actually currently on at the moment and I'd love to go and see it. It looks oh. amazing. It's on in London's Gilgood Theatre. But the story is of a man whose wife was accused of being a witch by a group of young girls who were seemingly in this grip of a, of a religious fervour. Reminds mm-hmm. me a lot of the story we told two weeks ago about... Hampstead hoax, in fact. A lot of pointing fingers. Right. Yeah. Mm. The community is in uproar. There's paranoia, hysteria ripping throughout it, you know, like wildfire. Some people doubt the girl's testimony, but then they would be labelled a witch and death is the punishment, which is kind of parallel to, you know, all of these things that are going on these days, pointing the finger at people and things that have no basis. Well, like we said a couple of weeks ago with the Hampstead hoax, it is the equivalent of a modern day witch hunt and if Mm -hmm. you are not with them you're against them and you will be targeted now i'm going to just segue slightly here michelle into the world of the crucible because i find it quite fascinating arthur miller as you may or may not know is the ex-husband very briefly of marilyn monroe and he also looked to something else for inspiration for this play and it happened to be Something else which is very similar to what we just spoke about, another case of pointing the finger, throwing people under a bus, and it was McCarthyism, which was happening in the 40s and 50s. There was a guy called Joseph McCarthy, who was a Wisconsin Republican politician in the 40s, who was elected to Senate in 1946, but then he faced possible defeat in 1950. So he tried out a new tactic, which was outing communists, because there was such a thing as the American Communist Party, and... You know, obviously, Russia, the USSR at the time, was America's number one enemy because it was the beginning of the Cold War. And it was really distasteful to most Americans to be a communist. So pointed the finger at them was great sport. McCarthy said that he had a list with 205 names on Shades of the Hampstead Hoax of people in the United States State Department who were members of the American Communist Party. And also there was another group at the time who was also on a witch hunt who were called the House Committee on Un-American Activities. So they were also pointing fingers, particularly throughout Hollywood. So when Arthur Miller wrote The Crucible in 1953, it was a reaction to these witch hunts that were taking place in America. And also a bit of sadness after his friend and director, Elijah Kazan, who was put on the trial and outed a bunch of communists and ended some careers in Hollywood as a result of it because they all got put on the blacklist. This guy, Kazan, you may have heard of because he directed things like On the Waterfront and Streetcar Named Desire. And even later in 1999, when he was honoured for an Academy Award, like for Lifetime Achievement, even the audience at that point was divided, half of them standing up and clapping, the other half sitting down saying, no way, mate, you... No. You know, dropped a bunch of people under the bus. 
Just so you know, McKellen sat down and Streep stood up. How did he throw people under the bus? He told them names. He was put on trial and he gave names of people who were in the American Communist Party at some point. Oh. Ended their careers, two two or three people, I think. I thought you meant that he was outed and his career ended. I didn't realise he also no. contributed to the no, ending no. of he careers. He went on to have a wonderful... No, he was all Oh, right. I think I might have sat down for that. I'm not sure I would have yeah. stood up. Well, mm. Miller himself was eventually put before the committee, but he refused refused to name anyone and the crucible endures to this day as a reminder of those times in history that just keep repeating themselves michelle yeah. as we know very well i'm already referencing our story from two weeks ago plus q and non they're just examples of how quickly rumor and terrible accusations can be jumped on ruining innocent people's lives so witches know a thing or two about that because as you know they were famously persecuted in europe between 1400 and 1782, there are about forty to 60,000 people killed after being accused of witchcraft in those days. Fucking hell, that's a lot. It's a shit ton, right? Well, it was a long time as well. Yeah. Between 1400 and that's, a, you know, a couple of hundred years. Mm. I can't do the maths, but it looks like it to me from, from this distance. <laughs> <laughs> like I said before, the general misconception wasn't that they were doing nature-based, you know, remedies and things like that, which is probably more likely what it was, but they were communing with the devil. And those trials that occurred, they were pretty bad, especially in yeah. parts of the Roman Empire. And those hunts would last years and years. And like I said, you know, the amount of people that were possibly killed, it's estimated that there were 100,000 trials taking place as well. And I bet they were not killed in a nice way. No, either. no. It's really awful. When I was in Ischia recently, we went into this castle where they had a torture chamber. Oh, fuck, man. What they did to people it is oh. barbed. Barrack. Like what? Well, I mean, there was obviously like the chastity chair. Women had to wear like a belt and men had to have this thing where it's all sharp, jagged edges. Like just horrible Ew. stuff. But then things like... Scold's bridle. No, like metal headbands where if you move one way, a nail would be driven into the side of your <gasps> skull and it's instant death. Like so you're always just... Oh. You couldn't move a, a muscle and just barbaric shit. Like the creativity for a start she and the inventiveness is. of how to torture and kill people. Oh just awful. Now, if you want to know more, please go to the Castle on Ischia. It is a <laughs> chamber of fucking horrors. I'll tell you what else I saw. What? Because there also was a like a nunnery. And yeah. to prove the absolute uselessness of the body when a nun would die they would go down into this chamber and they would put the dead nun on a chair and she would just rot what yep the flesh would just seep and ooze onto this chair and the nuns would have to go down every day and sit in front of these dead rotting nuns to pray in front of them and also be reminded that everything is about the spirit and nothing is about the body the body Holy is useless. I tell you, the Italians are fucking wild. Wow. Anyway, sorry, go back to your story. Oh, my God. I just don't know what to think now. Well, like I said, things were going pretty badly for Europe, especially in the Roman empires. Mm-hmm. And they reached fever pitch between 1560 and 1630. And historians will know these were the times of the counter-reformation and European religious wars. That's when it was going off. And people were, like you said, particularly cruel. So there was things like burning at the stake, which was the most common way to punish those convicted. And of course, 80% of them were women over the age of 40. So thank God 
We've moved past these awful times. Right, witches? Well, it's funny how they're not going to kill any of the women of childbearing age. Well, exactly. They're a bit useless after 40. And when they're young and gorgeous. Yes, mm. young and gorgeous That's after 40. That's what I when I read that fact. Mm, yes. It's not nice. But wait, witches still get a bad rap again in the 20th century. That's right. In the United States in the 1970s, two people met. They were divorcees, both with children from previous marriages. They met and fell in love in the time of hippies and hallucinogenics. What could go wrong? (laughs) Best times ever. I wonder if you've heard of this, Michelle. When James Clifford Carson and Susan Barnes met, Susan knew, thanks to a mescaline trip where she'd had a prophetic vision that James was the one for her. That's all it took. Okay. They both had this wild lifestyle of sex, drugs and visions and James eventually changed his name to Michael Bear Carson and she changed her name to Susan Bear Carson after a trip, okay. like an acid trip, informed them to do so. And also Susan had added a Z where the second S in her name was as well. Crazy, kooky guys. These guys were so deep into the tripping that they tried to start their own religion. That is, until a vision that Susan had where she was informed that they should become Muslims and that their job was to kill witches. Which, can I just say right here, right now, that's not part of the Muslim religion at all. Not at all. It just sounds fucked up. They've made it up. Because obviously, you know, drugs aren't part of the Muslim religion. Also, killing is quite frowned upon as well. So I think they're just kind of going with the flow here and just choosing a religion and deciding that that's what they'll do. Well, I just think they've fried their minds. That's exactly it. Brain chemical fuck ups. So this pair of hallucinating hippies relocated to Europe (laughs) where they hitchhiked their way around until they ran out of cash. So they returned to the US, specifically in San Francisco in 1980. They got an apartment which they shared with a 23-year-old aspiring actress called Karen Barnes. Karen, too, was into free love and the hippie movement, but not so that when she was approached that she was into the idea of being part of their little love fest. She did not want to be an extra wife for Michael. Or a murderer. (laughs) No, exactly. But I think they asked her to be a part of their couple, like a thruple. And she said, no, no, thank you. No, thank you. That rejection was too much because Susan then had another vision and this time it was that Karen was a witch. So now it's 1981 and Susan then ordered Michael to attack Karen with a frying pan (gasps) before stabbing her 13 times. I'm sorry, trigger warning. Oh my God. This is shades of, what was that film where someone gets hit over the head with a frying pan? Don't you remember? No. Kathy Bates was... Oh, Misery. Was it Misery? Yes. wonder if that's got anything to do with this. No. No, if that was the inspiration for the movie. That Kathy Bates film is about mm. her holding him capture because she didn't like the way his books were ended. She was a super fan. Yes, but maybe the idea for the killing, the way they were killed came from this. I'm not sure, but I don't think so. These guys, <laughs> they haven't got time to read Stephen King novels. They haven't got time to watch movies on the television or on, at the cinema. They're too busy taking trips and murdering or doing whatever it is that they're doing having a crazy time after they had murdered poor Karen they then drew on the walls and covered up the body and fled the apartment but Susan had actually written her own name on the wall which led to Karen's friends giving the police a heads up on this pair so now they're wanted for questioning but they're evading police 
and they spent a year in Northern California, moving then to the south of California for work on a marijuana farm. Happy days. The other workers there found them both to be really strange. No shit, because obviously they're a bit out there. They declared themselves at the time to be anarchists and they were eager for a revolution. They were making noises about an imminent nuclear apocalypse. They wanted to murder Ronald Reagan. And I think Johnny Carson was on a hit list for them as well. And by 1982, there was a friend of the owner of the marijuana farm called Clark Stevens, and they didn't get on with him. And that was bad news for Clark Stevens, because after an argument with Susan, she told Michael that he was a witch. So Michael shot Clark in the face. They then attempted to dispose of the body by setting it on fire and burying it in the woods under some manure. These people really are like brain fried. Two weeks later, Clark Stevens was reported missing to the Humboldt County Sheriff, which led to this discovery of Stevens' burnt remains. They were suspects in the crime because people searched their abandoned belongings and they found a manifesto where they had called for the assassinations, like I said, of Reagan and Johnny Carson. And it kind of detailed a lot of their ramblings and rantings, I would expect. So now it's 1983 and they've returned to Northern California, hitchhiking their way there. And they got a lift with a man called John Hellier. I just want to say at this juncture that there is an eavesdropper who is my nephew. Hello, Jet Williams. Tegitopia is his name on social media. We've spoken about him before. He's just finished hitchhiking his way around the United States with a friend and filming it. So follow him on TikTok and watch because it's so fascinating to watch what he gets up to. His filmmaking is fantastic. And he actually says, don't freak out. It's not scary. Most people are really friendly. And in fact, there's one where they're in, I don't want to name the city because I don't want to badmouth it, but it was somewhere that was actually really dangerous in certain parts. And a very kindly lady who noticed that they had stuck out like a sore thumb, picked them up and took them somewhere safer. I actually would back that up because the few times that I have hitchhiked in my life, up and down the east coast of Australia back in the 90s, which thinking back now was like prime time. I'm thinking Ivan Milat. I'm thinking that other guy exactly. with the British tourists. Yeah, honestly, prime time for serial killers, but had no clue. I was picked up by the loveliest people who took us to their farms, set up a bed for us, gave us breakfast in the morning. You know, people really wanted to just help us and were kind to us. In general, people who pick up hitchhikers generally have a good heart, unless you're Ivan (laughs) Millat. That gives hitchhiking a bad name. Yeah. Well, during this journey with John Hellier taking them to the north of California, John's leg accidentally touched Susan's and she didn't appreciate that. Suddenly she had a vision about John being a witch and she told Michael he had to kill poor John as well. But John fought back and as a result, there were witnesses who then saw Michael shoot and kill, sadly, John. The Carsons then took off in John's truck in a high-speed chase with the police following them. They were run off the road and landed in a ditch and then they were captured by police, finally. The Carsons said that they would confess to the murders but only if they were allowed to do it by press conference. So on the 10th of March, 1983, that is what they did. And it went on, Michelle, for about six, five or six hours. They were absolutely raving, ranting. They were referencing George Orwell's 1984. They claimed President Reagan was the devil and described why witches needed to be killed. At this press conference, they also said that Allah told Susan they were to kill witches and Michael 
was the executioner. So that's where they got all this information from during this six-hour press conference. I don't know why or how they were allowed to then rant and rave for six hours to the press. But at the end of it, they were finally arrested on three counts of first-degree murder and further crimes as well. But after all this, even though they sat there and said all this stuff, they still pleaded not guilty in their three-day trial. Crazy. Well, I imagine that they were sent down. They were absolutely found guilty. Michelle, you predicted that correctly. And they are now serving 75 years to life. But in 2015, there was a battle to stop the pair from early release with even Michael's daughter, Jen Carson, saying that he's so dangerous and remorseless that she started an online campaign to stop that pair from ever being released. A California parole board did find Susan Carson unfit for early release and scheduled her next parole consideration for 2030, by which time she'll be 88. She's a bit older than Michael. As for Michael, he cancelled his parole hearing because he refuses to renounce his violent religious beliefs, so he, he can't lie about it. He still believes exactly what he believed back then. And that is just awful for those witches, well, anyone. <laughs> Obviously, you don't have to be a witch to be accused of being one, for the Carsons, but I'd never heard of that before. Me either. And honestly, you just had to be on the Carsons shit list to get murdered. But this is actually exactly what modern day witch hunts are. You're put on someone's shit list. You're told that you're a witch and that's the justification for murder. Usually it's some sort of anti-Christian behavior. Um, You know, we've heard it about, you know, eating babies, all sorts of things have been bandied about. And if you say something Mm. particularly nasty and and horrifying, people almost don't question it. Yeah. I don't know why that is, actually. Weird, right? I do think that we as a society now are so desensitized to all this stuff. You know, oversaturation of just the worst possible shit that humans can do to each other and to our beautiful animal kingdom. We're all just desensitized to it. Nothing is shocking anymore. The cruelty has always been this way, as you illustrated earlier when you were talking about the beautiful island of Ischia and their torture chambers. Yes, indeed. Slightly terrifying. So there you go. Where do you go? touched on Wicca earlier in your story and I've always heard about Wicca I don't know too much about it so I thought I'm gonna just do a little bit of you know duck duck going on this Mm -hmm. because what I wanted to know was do Wiccan spells actually work oh did you do one in preparation for this episode no I did not but (laughs) I want to do one because I have some things that I want to get witchy about I sort of went down this rabbit hole of just sort of understanding more about what Wicca is because I always thought it was white magic. White magic just means, you know, for good rather than black magic, which is evil. But it's actually more of how you create a personal connection with nature and the divine. Yeah. And you had said that earlier, actually, that it's more a spiritual practice than a than magic in a way if you go to wikipedia actually it says wicca is a modern neo-pagan syncretic religion that is both a new religious movement as well as part of the occultist western esotericism i kind of struggle a little bit with defining it as a religion as far as i can tell wicca it's not organized it doesn't have a specific set of beliefs that everyone has to abide by And there's no kind of 
overarching religious texts like a Bible mm. or the Quran that people look to as kind of the truth for their religion. There's the Chambers Dictionary of the Unexplained. That might tell you a few things. Maybe. I've got to look. But it's kind of loose for me calling it a religion. If you're a Wiccan, maybe defining it as such is how you want to perceive yourself within the rituals that you do. Mm-hmm. Actually, unlike other religions, I think you can be a Wiccan, but also a Christian or a Muslim or a Catholic. You can have a dual religion if you're a Wiccan and something else. Whereas I don't think that that's possible in any other religion or something. Right? No, you're you're one and done in other religions. For me, I think Wicca is more of a spiritual path rather than a religion. And I also think that from what I've read, it's kind of up to every witch to decide how the craft of Wicca will fit into their own life and their own beliefs. And like I said, I don't know too much about it more than in the 90s. Loads of our friends, Geordie, I'm sure, were really into knowing more about this stuff. Yeah. It really was a very early 90s thing. I sort of from that time have very, very basic knowledge of it. Well, I do remember when we spoke about witches on this podcast before, I think I mentioned when I first moved to Canberra, one of the first people I met was the daughter of a witch and she lived in Ainsley in a coven. This kid, my age, 16. I think Canberra was a hotbed for this stuff. There was always an undercurrent of it, you know, especially when I got into year 11 and 12, you know, the whole thing of white magic wicker. It was this open secret that everybody was really curious about. I think every Wiccan has their own personal practice of rituals Mm. that work for them and connect them to universal energy. And of course, there's this whole thing about magic. And for me, like magic is a really loaded word that has kind of been debased to the point where I think it doesn't really mean that much because people just associate it with hocus pocus and trickery it's a really loose word. So I think for me, Wicca and magic aren't the same. And even using the word magic is kind of hokey for me. Hokey pokey. Do the hokey pokey. I think it is a form of spirituality that uses in inverted commas magic in the sense that it is the thing that manifests because of or during a ritual. So you can look at these things that happen as a kind of magic, I guess. I would love to believe in magic And I'd love to believe that if we focus on something hard enough, then we will manifest it. Yeah. Yeah. And we have talked about this process really working for people in previous podcast episodes because I know people who have manifested being pregnant. And when I think about the things that they've done to manifest that, it is kind of like a spell. You know, they've spoken words to themselves repeatedly. They've held specific objects in their hands while focusing and They've done this repeatedly with positivity until they got what they wanted. In many ways, this also reminds me of Abraham and also the secret, except with Abraham, you set an intention and then you forget about it and you put your faith into universal energy that it will be delivered, except the only way it will be delivered is if you are happy now in the absence of having it rather than being miserable now. And then trying to manifest and thinking about how much you don't have something and hoping that the having of whatever you wished for will make you happy. It reminds me of something. I recently read that 
when you suffer from anxiety, for example, and you are winding yourself up beforehand and you're saying things like, I know I can't do this. I'm going to fail. I'm a mess. I'm useless. I read it somewhere. Somebody very intelligent said that is training your brain to think that you are that way. When you're trying to learn another language like German, for example, you have to train your brain in such a way that the hippocampus or whatever part of your brain that works for that enlarges, learns it. You're saying it over and over again. You're training the neural pathways to remember the language and the words and make the associations. If you're doing that about something negative, like I'm shit at this, that's what's going to happen. So bear that in mind when you do negative self-talk. That's self-fulfilling prophecy. I am shit, therefore I am shit. But what I'm saying is it's not magic. It's actually you're training your brain to be in that pathway. Think about it like learning a language. Say the negative self-talk is a language. And if you keep practicing it, you get very, very good at believing it and being in it and able to speak that language. Whereas if you were to use something that's positive language or affirmations, like you're saying, then your brain is doing the opposite thing. You're being more positive and that becomes second nature because your brain does all the work. Yes, I agree with you. The question for me is a little bit like what you just said. Can thoughts and intentions actually affect a person or a situation or a thing or an outcome? You're saying, going back to Wicca, a lot of it is rituals and setting intentions. It's less about the ritual and more about the visualization and the setting of the intention. That is the key, key, key element of Wicca. If you apply that, and Wicca is all about positivity, it's white magic, it's white energy, it's not black, dark energy. And in fact, they have this thing about the rule of three where anything you do comes back to you threefold. So if you set a positive intention, you get three times the amazing positive energy. If you do, say, a black ritual where you wish harm on somebody, actually that harm comes back to you three times. Karma, man. It's bad karma. But anyway, back to this whole idea of science. In 2008, there's a guy called Dr. Masaru Emoto, who actually sadly passed away in 2014. He published a series of experiments where he got two different groups to focus different intentions on water. Some groups had love and gratitude as their intention, while other groups had angry and hateful intentions. And Dr. Emoto then froze those water molecules in exactly the same way to see if their molecular structures had been affected by the intentions that those people had been casting towards that water. So you've got one ice cube which is bad and one ice cube which is nice. Yeah, basically, group of people sit in front of a glass of water. They're like, I love you, I love you, oh, love is this, positivity, positivity. The other one is like, fuck you, angry. Those two different glasses of water, frozen. Then they are microscopically looked at to see if the molecular structure of the water had been affected. And what this guy, Dr. Masaru Amoto, found was fucking crazy. Because you see on this website, and I'll link to it in the show notes, he has images of the water molecules. There's this one picture of this beautiful water molecule. It's just gorgeous. It, and it's the water molecule where people had been intending, you know, love and gratitude. And next to it is this water molecule for you disgust me. 
that was what they had been saying to the water. You disgust me. And I'm not joking, Geordie. It looks like smeared golden shit. It is <laughs> disgusting. Because the one of the beautiful water molecule where the people, they'd been saying love and gratitude, basically. Yeah. It looked like crystals and diamonds and pearls and it was gorgeous. How did it taste? I don't know. That's interesting, actually, because as you know, my partner has a restaurant and our chef is Mexican and he really, really is very careful about his mood when he cooks because he says when he cooks, if he cooks and he's angry or pissed off, the food tastes bad. Wow. And so he has to actually put himself into a feeling of happiness and good feeling to be able to cook. Otherwise, none of his food works and it tastes bad. I think there's something to this because also Dr. Emoto had other molecules where there was a beautiful picture of this stunning crystal shape. And that was the molecule from the thank you intention. And next to it was this horrible golden like chasm of nastiness that also looked like like smeared shit around it god yeah that was the water molecule exposed to the intention for evil and look all of these results were published in a peer-reviewed journal of scientific exploration and i actually want to put a pin in that because i find all of this fascinating and i'd love to go into that I'd love to know, how did he even come up with that experiment? I mean, that's some crazy out there thinking, right? It is. I think it's crazy out there thinking. What it shows is that at a molecular level, the intentions we put into the world do have an effect, more than we realize. And in some ways, for me, it is a kind of magic that we all have within us to harness whenever we want to harness that. And I mean, I think about people who say grace and bless their food. Yeah. They are putting, you know, intention onto that food before they eat it. Yeah. Does their food taste better? Are they changing it? Circling back to Wicca, there's also an idea that when you're performing the rituals, that you kind of go into a meditative state, even that you're not aware of, which actually takes me back to this Tyler Henry thing because he goes into yes. a weird state when he's channeling and it's not deliberate. It's just how it is for him. Yeah. So, you know, as we said, it's all about intentions and visualization and focusing for Wicca. I think there is something to this. So whether or not I think Wiccans realize they're meditating when they go into this idea of focusing and intending. And look, it's not part of everyone's Wiccan practice. There is this thing that I came across where in 2014, there was a systematic review and meta-analysis on meditation that was conducted by a guy called Dr. Madhav Goyal and published in the JAMA Internal Medicine Journal. What he discovered was that meditation can actually alter the workings of the brain and have really positive outcomes for things like depression and stress and pain and even sleep. And we know this because of that whole kind of, oh, the, like everyone was really into it during the pandemic, the mindfulness kind of craze that everyone went through. I thought you were going to say sourdough bread. <laughs> no, not sourdough. I mean, I love sourdough. Joe Wicks. I bloody love a bit of sourdough. No, it was that whole mindfulness you know which is basically just another word for meditation it was just a trendy rebranding but put that in the context of Wiccan spells and you can see how applying the meditative element 
to focus the intention can have positive effects on your mood, your sleep, healing and all that kind of thing. Perhaps there is an element to why spells work, which is about meditation, Mm. which is about intention and the positivity that that has on the things around us. But then there's also quantum mechanics, Geordie, which in a nutshell is, you know, it looks at the behavior of matter and light on an atomic and subatomic scale. And the thing is that quantum mechanics are so bizarre and hard to follow. There is this whole thing that even like super intelligent people, like there's a guy called Niels Bohr, who is the father of the orthodox Copenhagen interpretation of quantum physics. He said, anyone who is not shocked by quantum theory has not understood it. And there's another guy called Richard Feynman, who is one of the founders of quantum field theory. He says, I think I can safely say that nobody understands quantum theory, including me. So with that in mind, Mm -hmm. if Wiccan spells work for Wiccan witches, maybe we don't have to understand it or analyze it or scientifically explain it because there are whole parts of science that no one understands. And maybe that's where the power of intention lies, you know, in that kind of exciting no man's land of quantum theory. Saying that, I don't think that you can just Google a healing spell and say someone else's words and have a spell work as a Wiccan. I think you have to make it super personal and come up with your own words and intention and get really kind of like laser focused about focusing energy and visualizations and intentions to have something work. But saying that, there is a little way into Wicca, which I think is basically manifestation. It is very similar to, you know, like I said, Abraham and The Secret. There's something that you can do very simply at home, which if you want to try a Wiccan spell, they're candle spells. And you actually don't need a lot of stuff. Oh, I know a candle spell. I've got lots of lovely candles just in case I want to make a spell. Really? See, you probably know a lot about this stuff. But I just thought, wouldn't it be interesting if our eavesdroppers gave these little candle spells a whirl and then got back to us and told us if they were? That's a great idea, guys. Let's see if you're listening. We'll find out when you start writing in. So here's just a little how-to on how to do a candle spell. So you need to focus your intention and visualization on whatever manifestation you want while the candle burns you know because you're using the power of fire to bring positive change into your life so step one is just to absolutely nail your intention and figure out what you want to manifest and this could be anything from like bringing more money into your life to finding love or you want a new car you want like a particular one and so you know you want to manifest like the right car at the right price or a new job or get the house you want at the price you want or just even attracting more happiness. But the thing is, you want your intention to be really clear and really specific. And then you need to choose the objects that are going to help you with your spell. So in this case, you need to choose a candle that relates to your intention. And the color is important. You know, for example, red symbolizes vitality and love and power and sex. Orange candles evoke creativity and ambition and joy and success. So you'd like an orange candle to bring a new job into your life. So yellow candles bring clarity in matters of the heart and mind. So you would like a yellow one if you need guidance or clarity on something or if you're wanting to manifest a business outcome. 
green candles are used to attract financial success and money. So you would like one to attract yep. luck and generosity and balance and healing and even fertility. Whereas blue candles represent calm and peace and protection. So you would use a blue candle if you're seeking, and a light blue one actually, if you're seeking truth in something. Okay. Yeah. Right. So if you're sort of thinking, is my boyfriend cheating on me? I want an answer. I want to manifest Ooh. the answer to this. He would light a blue candle. Whereas right. purple candles can be used to cancel out bad karma. Okay. So if you've done something and you know you probably shouldn't have, you can light a purple candle and sort of ask for forgiveness. Okay, that sounds good. At least Pink, there's a... Yeah, there's a way back. There's a way there's back. A way back, yeah. Pink candles for love, if you want to attract love, positivity. Brown candles, if you need uh, stability or maybe particular material things gold for boosting money what about black yeah black is black candles are actually not necessarily used for evil they are used in a different way and I, I should have written this down in my notes but I didn't I would generally say steer clear of black because I think they have power and you can I've got a black candle and I have bought it because it's black and I can't remember why. Well, the thing is, I think if you understand and you maybe are a little bit more practiced, you can use them. But definitely do not okay. have a negative intention with the black candle. It's going to be some bad shit for you. Thanks for the tip. But white candles are pretty much your all-rounder. You can use it for anything. Okay. So in lieu of orange, green, purple or gold, you can just grab a white one. Exactly. And then you need to write your spell. Mm-hmm. And that should include sort of, they say, an opening and then your intention and then a closing. And an opening might just be something like, I burn this candle as a representation of my intention. May it bring clarity. So mote it be. So mote it be, yes. I saw that they say that, but it sounds yeah. so archaic. So mote it be. It does, be. doesn't it? Yes. Not yeah. might, mote. So mote yes. it be. And then you have your intention and then you would close with something like, Thank you, Divine Nature, for your presence today and for sharing your inspiration and power. And then you'd prepare your space. So you might sage the room to clear out any negative energy. Then you'd set up your candles. Yeah. And then step five is you'd light your candles and you'd uh, perform your spell and say your intention and get super focused. And then hopefully you would allow your manifestation to happen. And that's it. So I want to know if anyone out there Amazing. is going to do a little spell let us know. I'm going to do one, Mish, because I've done them in the past and I've got all that stuff that you've just mentioned upstairs in my little area, mm -hmm. my spiritual area, because sometimes we do the, because we have obviously an eavesdropper who is a modern mystic and she has given us advice on how to, what do we do? The moon? Moon Lover's Guide? Not the Moon Lover's Guide, but the... Oh, she gave us a... The spells on the moon. Yes, the lunar spells intentions. and intentions. She did give us... Yeah, com. Yes, Tamira, the modern It's really mystic. good I've done it. Yeah, yeah, no, they're great. And the thing is, the more you get into it, I think, as you said before about the hippocampus, and it is about ritual and practice. And the more yeah. you do it, I think the better you get at these things. As well as training your mind, I think you get better at focusing and visualizing and intending and hopefully the manifesting as well, because we all want more money and more happiness and more more of everything. More, more, more. Greedy. I don't think it's greedy. I just want good shit in abundance. That's what I want. Be good. Yeah. Be good, you'll get good. That's my mini dive into Wicca. 
Amazing. Thank you, Michelle. I love all that stuff. And I can't wait to hear back from listeners. Do you know, you've really inspired me today because last time you told us about was the anti-aging diet and the cert food and everything and the sirtuins. And that really inspired me, actually. And I've been intermittently fasting since then. How's it working? Really well. Great. I feel great. Yeah, I've been sort of doing the intermittent fasting. I haven't seen any results yet. <laughs> Sadly, but you know, you do get more energy and you feel good for yeah. it. So, yeah. Absolutely. So now you've inspired me to do some spells, and then I will report back as well, Mish, and let you know how it went. Please do, because I actually have a green candle here. I might try a little money and luck kind of spell. Yep. For I'm not going to tell you what. Don't tell it's me. my own personal. No, I'm not going to, but I might do that, actually. It sounds good. good. And honestly, eavesdroppers, please write in. Do write to in. To hello at eavesdropandpodcast.com with all your stories of your Wiccan spells. Love to hear about it. And any other stories as well that you'd like to tell us, because we've all ears over here at Eavesdrop and the Podcast. All ears. But actually, Geordie, on that note... I think we've come to the end of our little Wiccan journey today. Feels like it. So I guess that there's only one thing left to say, and that is... Wherever you are. Whatever you do. Just keep eavesdropping. 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 Eavesdropping.